Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, First, it says, if you obey the commands, that's the first test. So, but then it reminds us that anybody can, you know, obey commands in a sense. Uh, anyone can not do this or not do that. Uh, but the deal is, is can you do that? Here's the second test. Can you do that in the context of loving your brother? So now that's a whole nother thing, you know, uh, so can you obey God's commands and do it while loving your brother? You may say, how is that possible? I've used this example lots of times. I'll use it again. I preached the message about uh, not breaking the Sabbath. And we talked about the man in the Old Testament who, when he collected sticks on the Sabbath, that they, they put him to death. And I had been preaching about this. And I, after church, we went over to Brother Andy Cusel's house to, um, to have fellowship. And when we pulled in the driveway there, and he was out front of his house picking up sticks. And I thought, wow, <laughs> here we have it. Now, I knew Andy, and I knew what was going on, but I thought, God, you have an, an amazing way of giving us an example. So I'm looking at him, and the law that says that we're to, you know, remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy, we're not to do these things. We're reminded even of the story of the man that was killed for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. And here Andy is. He's out in his front yard picking up those sticks. And uh, I walked over to Andy, smiling and understanding that God had given me a great example. I said, what are you doing? Picking up sticks on the Lord's Day. And uh, he looked up and around, and there were trees. There are giant hawthorn trees that have these, uh, this is no exaggeration, they have these uh, thorns that big sticking out of them. And he knew that the young people were going to be running around uh, the yard. Many of them might get these in their feet. And so he was picking up those things so that they would not. So, so the, here we have, this is a way to obey the Sabbath, but still understand that we need to love our neighbor. There might be a time to pick up sticks in that case it was. So there's a test within a test within the test. So you, you see what I'm saying. So we have the same thing here in this principle that we're talking about. When Jesus mentioned uh, these three things, he mentioned these three things that we're going to talk about. Uh, the weightier matters of the law. Matthew 23, 23. Remember, he was chiding the Pharisees, and he was telling them that here you have, you've tithed every little thing, even including the little tiny herbs you grow. You've, you've strained your water so a gnat wouldn't even get in it. You've done all this, but you have done this, 
but you have ignored the weightier matters of the law. Some people might say, oh, well, the Word of God's all the same. It is, but if Jesus says that there's something weightier, there's something more important, we need to pay attention to that. The Pharisee would say, no, it's just as important to strain out the water to make sure there are no gnats in it. Jesus would say, well, you know what? If you have time to strain out your water to get the gnats out of it, after you've observed the weightier matters of the law, then you might just be doing it right. So you you could maybe observe the weightier matters of the law and think of those. And if you didn't have time to strain your water and you accidentally got a gnat in it, you might be all right. Okay. So what are these weightier matters? Matthew 23, 23 says what they are. Now, what's funny is uh, a lot of people couldn't even tell you what they are. And they are what Christ says to be the, the weightier matters of the law. Do you remember what they are? I'll give you a minute to admit that you don't know it. Uh, but they are justice. Everybody say justice. Mercy. And faithfulness. Okay, so now these three things, we're going to talk more about them here in a minute, but the this list that Jesus gives in Matthew 23, 23 of the weightier matters of the law of justice, mercy, and faithfulness mirrors what God told his people through the prophet Micah in Micah 6, 8, which was a part of our Old Testament readings. So you'll see this. Now, I'm not necessarily big on taking single Bible verses and turning them into slogans or bumper stickers, but in this case, in Micah 6.8, it is truly a summation of God's words about what is at the very heart of true, godly, God-given righteousness, okay? So I would make an exception here, and I would make Micah 6.8, I would make this, this phrase, I would make it a bumper sticker, uh, I'd, I'd make it a slogan, I'd put it on your wall. And, and you'll be doing good here. Now, no, this is God talking to Israel, reminding his people what he wants them to do. He distills for them uh, a whole lot in this one sentence, and it seems to me to be exactly what Jesus is referring to here in Matthew 23, 23, and really at the heart of what's going on here in Psalm 35, where we are today. So Micah 6, 8, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Now, before we jump into the psalm, though, I will speak to these three things uh, that we can do as Christians and how we will encounter them here in the psalm. Now, God's word is for doing, not just for knowing and agreeing. Um, sometimes we we become very academic, uh, we get very legalistic, uh, we love to, you know, line everything up and, 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 and build a case. God's word is not really for that. God's word is for doing. And in this verse, there are three things to do, do, love, and walk. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. So I'm going to deal with do justly here first. Now, we don't just do uh, something because, uh, or, or let, let me let me say it this way: we don't do this action or that action because um, what someone else does. Okay, God calls us to do the right thing, no matter what other people are doing, and this is the this is the hard part. 
we know how to behave ourselves and to act justly, uh, you know, when there's, you know, there's no, there's nothing going on, but it's hard to do right when someone has done us wrong. Okay. So the, so God's call to act justly here in Psalm 35, as we will see, our actions do not take on new meaning because of what someone else does. Okay. Now it's hard, but it's true. Now, I did this wrong thing because they did that wrong thing. It's not really going to work out well for us. Years ago, I, I used to, uh, uh, we used to refer to the sermon I preached about Lot and his daughters. And uh, I won't go into the whole story now, but it's the story of Lot and his daughters and how, uh, well, I won't go into the whole story, but if you know the story of Lot and his daughters, you can, you can go through it. But, but there was a phrase that came out, if you're looking for a righteous reason to sin, think again. Okay, uh, if you're looking for a righteous reason to sin, think again. You can't say, I did this wrong thing because they did that wrong thing. I was mean to them because they were mean to me. I said that hurtful thing because they said that hurtful thing to me. I inflicted pain on them because they inflicted pain on me. Now, simple enough in theory, but in practice, it's quite another thing. So the very first thing is to do justly do the right thing no matter what everybody say no matter what okay so that's the hard part so doing justly we can go oh look at all the good things we do yeah but not the no matter what part okay so the second thing is love mercy so how hard is that right i mean loving mercy that's pretty easy right now we don't have trouble loving mercy when it's applied to who when it's applied to me, when it's applied to you, you love it. It's fantastic. I mean, uh, there's nothing better than knowing you're guilty, knowing you should be punished, knowing you deserve bad things to happen, and instead they don't happen to, to you, to me. That's when we love mercy. But is that really the full-orbed idea of the love of mercy? Being thankful for God's grace, that's great for you, but how about loving? How about loving mercy all the time? You guys remember the story of Jonah? Jonah, he he thought it was great that God was kind to Israel. He thought it was great that God was merciful to Israel. He thought it was great that God would deliver them from their enemies. But when he was sent to Nineveh to tell them to repent, why why didn't he want to go? Do you guys remember this? He didn't want to go because he said, "Well, what's going to happen is they're going to repent, and you're going to forgive them, God." And I want you to kill them all. I'm telling you, that is really what is the heart at the heart of our hearts when our hearts are not right, when we are not truly indeed loving mercy. We love mercy when it applies to us. We don't like it when it's applied to that person that hurt us, that person that might be hurting us right now. We don't like that. We love mercy when we get it. The way that the book of Jonah ends is such a powerful, powerful lesson for us in this subject when he's there and it's the sun is out and there's this gourd that grows and it covers his head up and he's thankful for the gourd and, you know, and then God sends a worm to, to kill the gourd. And now he's there in the sun and he's, he's mad, he's angry. And God says, you know what? You didn't do anything to make this grow. It was just here one day and gone the next. One day. He said, but in this city over here, 
There are people who can't distinguish their right hand from their left. There's animals, there's puppies, there's old men, there's babies. And you didn't make any of them. I did. But you're mad that I'm going to save them. Folks, I'm telling you, this is at the core of what is wrong with us. We are so concerned. We love mercy when it's applied to us and to our lives. But when it's applied to the Iranians or the Soviets or the communist Chinese or the pedophile, we don't like it. We want God to hurt them, to pay them back. And God wants us to love mercy and let him apply it. It's not up to us. Love mercy no matter what. Everybody say that with me. Love mercy no matter what. Kid, do you love mercy? Are you prepared to try to love mercy when it applies in situations where you don't think it should? Pretty rough stuff, I know. So first, do justly. Second, love mercy. And the third is walk humbly before God. Now, this, this is probably the hardest one of all. You might go, well, that's not hard. Yeah, it is. Humility, uh, it, it's almost impossible to come from creatures. We live in the pride of life all day long. And it is only in situations like this when we're forced into recognizing that we don't really, we can't even, you know, there's a song by the second chapter of Acts. Uh, it says, you don't know which way the wind blows. So how can you how can you tell me what you think is going to happen tomorrow, right? There's a song, and it's reminding us, you know, we don't know if it's what the weather is going to be like. We don't know if the, the – we may get the news that the pandemic has, you know, turned into a whole other thing, and, you know, people are going to be growing horns out of their head. We have no idea what is going to happen next. Now, right now, you, you actually might be a little bit scared. You might be a little bit worried. You might be a little bit unsettled. Well, yeah. And so, so God's given us this, this brief moment of time where we can be humble uh, on a day-to-day -day basis because we're completely at the mercy of outside circumstances. Folks, we are always at the mercy of those things. We just don't know it. So first, do justly. Love mercy. Third is walk humbly before your God. All three things form a picture of the mark that we should be shooting for, the prize that we press toward as we seek to please the Lord. It's like a three-dimensional image of the life of righteousness that we know that Christ attained, and by God's help, we can work toward too. Now, we're not trying to earn anything with God or impress God, but the Bible says because He's holy, we should want to be holy in all manner of our lifestyle. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly before your God. Everybody say, no matter what. You know, when back on the humbly part, you know, no matter what, uh, it's hard for rich people to be humble. It's hard for people that don't need anything to be humble. That's why it says it's harder for a rich man to, you know, for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle for, than for him to enter into the kingdom. Why? It's hard for him to understand who he is because he thinks his wealth has made him secure. Now, this subject matter that we're talking about is such an offense to our pride of life, we tend to shut it completely out of our minds. So to remind us, I'm going to go ahead and look in God's Word. And honestly, I got so derailed doing this that I, I don't even know that I'll make it back to Psalm 35, but I'll try. 
because Psalm 35 is about this. David is praying for God to deal with his enemies. He did good to them. They did evil to him. And it's, it's all in there. But I just don't know if we can do it all today online and over the computer in cyberspace right now. But let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to look at God's word, and we're going to look from uh, the words of Jesus, the words of Peter, Paul, and James. They're going to be our instructors here uh, in this doctrine that is so, so difficult to do. And honestly, without the power of the Holy Spirit filling us, we can't do this, just so you know. You might be going, I feel exasperated. How is this even possible? What is Mark talking about? How can I love mercy when mercy is applied to Adolf Hitler? You know, uh, how can I how can I do justly no matter what anybody does to me? Well, that's what Jesus did, right? That's what we're gonna get into. We're gonna we're gonna get into this. First, I'm gonna start from our New Testament reading in uh, John chapter six. John chapter 6, I'm just going to read 10 verses here. I'm not going to read the whole chapter like we did earlier. But he said, but I say unto you, love your enemies and do good to them which hate you. So any any ambiguity? Does anyone need to look up the Greek on that? Love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Now, nobody wants to do this. And if you think, if you're sitting here and you're sitting in your house deceived that you actually do, <laughs> I'd beg to differ with you. All right, verse 28, bless them that curse you and pray for them that will despitefully use you. Now, this is so hard that I just, I almost feel bad for reading it, but it is the standard. I'm sorry, am I saying John 6? I meant to say Luke. I apologize. I'm glad someone is here to help us out with that. So Luke chapter 6, but I say unto you, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you. So just in case that wasn't clear enough, Jesus then gave them a scenario. All right, you got a guy, he walks up to you, and he punches you in the face. Give him your other side of your face that he can hit too. Now, Certainly Jesus cannot mean this. I mean, this cannot really be what Je Jesus said this. It, it couldn't be more clear. Bless them that curse you, okay? So what is our first inclination, Matt? You're here. What's your first? Someone walks up to you and says, you're a no good, dirty, robbers, come back. Your first inclination is, well, thank you. I love you. It, well, it says to bless them that curse you. So so you want to try it out, right? you no good, dirty, robbers, come back. You're learning. You ain't no good. You come back. What, what what would you normally say? Normally, you'd turn red in the face. You'd be like, how dare you? I can't believe you talk. And then you would probably start to do a defend yourself, right? Whether it was punch them, which I don't know that you would do. He has his fists up. You guys can't see him. Maybe you can see him online. He, is he going to punch them? No, but you're going to kind of want to. You're going to want to let everyone. I'm not bad. No, no. It doesn't say. It says, bless them that curse you and pray for them that despitefully use you. Now, in the psalm, I think we want to pray the kind of prayers that Psalm 35 prays, which is, Lord, kill my enemies. You know, that we are all welcome. <laughs> we are all ready to pray for that. But who's willing to pray that God would forgive your enemies, that he would not bring judgment on them? See, that's what Jonah was doing. See, those people had hurt Israel. Those people had killed Israelites, and he didn't want mercy for them. He wanted God to kill them, to judge them for what they had done. 
he that smites thee on the cheek, offer him your other one. And him and, and and so he's like, all right, if this isn't good enough, here's what I'll do. So you got a guy and he steals your coat. You should say, hey, would you like my shirt too? Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, what Jesus is talking about is so not what we want to do. Even as Christians, I don't think any Christian is looking forward to this opportunity. You know what? I got robbed the other day, and the neat thing about it was he only took my coat. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute, buddy. I want you to go ahead, and I want you to have my shirt too. You, you must really, really need it. Have mercy. What on earth? What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about something that really applies to you and me in such a way that it's painful to understand this. Folks, we have not done good to God. God has not responded to our uh, great heartfelt repentance to him and shown us mercy. The Bible says when we were yet without strength, when we did not seek after God, when we were not pursuing him, he did what? He pursued us. He stretched out his hand to us when we were without strength, when, when we weren't calling on him. Well, there's none righteous, no, not one, when we were doing this. And that's what he does. So, so Jesus is telling us, when they smite you on one cheek, offer them the other one. When they take away your coat, forbid not. When they, when they take your cloak, forbid not that they take your coat also. Give unto every man that asks thee, and of him that takes away thy goods, ask them not again. I believe that what Jesus is saying here in verse 30 is, you know, we like to help people, but we hate it when people that are in need ask us because we're almost mad. Like, you know what? How dare they? They know that I'm going to have to do it. Like, do you, I, I know even when I raise money for Myanmar, when I call people directly, they get a little bit mad. Why? Because they know they shouldn't say no. That's why they get mad, you know? But the deal is, is imagine, so, so you have this friend that you know, imagine anyone at church that you love, anyone that means a whole lot to you, and you know they do, right? And they come to you, and they know you have a big pile of money. How do you feel when they ask you for it? Probably not very good. Why? Well, because they're like forcing you to give it to them. This is what I believe Jesus is there. Give to every man that asks. I don't think that this was Jesus' imperative to walk around the streets and every bum on the street to hand them money, okay? But I really think what he's doing is God is addressing this part of us, this uh, selfish part of us. We love to give, but we like to give where we like to give, and we like to give when we want to give. We don't like to be told to give. We don't like to be told we have to give. We don't like to be expected to do it. We hate it. Verse 11. As you would that men should do to you, do to them likewise. Now, Jesus then explains it even more. Verse 32. For if you love them which love you, what thanks have you? For sinners also love them that love them. So he's saying, you know, I'm not asking you to love like the world loves. The, lo the world already loves a certain way. If... Uh, if people are easy to love, if people are good to you, people are kind to you, anybody knows how to be good and kind and loving. I mean, anybody wants mercy for the guy who's already been merciful, right? But the guy that's shown no mercy, to even, to want mercy for him, that's impossible. If you do good to them that do good, what thanks have you for sinners also do the same. If you lend to them whom you hope to receive back, what do you have to thank for? For sinners also lend to sinners and receive as much again. But love your enemies, Jesus repeats in verse 35. 
love your enemies, do good to them, lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward shall be great. You shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful. There, there. I'm telling you, see this right here? God is kind to who? The unthankful. Who is that? I think I got an amen corner over here. Who's the unthankful? It's us. Who's the evil? Us. Remember, remember from uh, the Spirit speaking to the church at Laodicea, you thought you were rich and you thought these things, but you, you have come to realize you are miserable and you are blind and you are wretched and you are poor. And folks, that's what we have to understand. We need God because that's exactly what we are. So he says, he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Verse 36, be ye therefore merciful as your father is merciful. So what God is calling us to do is to be merciful to the people you don't really think should deserve it. Why? Because you don't deserve it. That's why God tells us to, that we need to understand that, that we need to be kind to strangers. Why? Because you're a stranger. We need to be forgiving to others. Why? Because you have been forgiven. See this full orb looked at the truly righteous man? The man who is humble before his God, in this humility, knowing what he deserves, what mercy has been shown to him, he loves, he prays for, and he even desires mercy, and he shows it to his enemies. Wow. Everybody say, wow. Wow. So, Let's hear what Peter has to say. He describes this as our calling. I know a lot of young people are always like, what is my calling? What is my calling? And they're always wanting to talk about it. Here's your calling. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For even hereunto were you called. Everybody say, this is my calling. So what is it? Because Christ suffered for us, he left us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. Okay? So you have a calling here. Your calling is to follow in the footsteps of Christ. And how is that? By walking around and saying breathy statements of kindness to people? By walking around and looking with compassion and putting your hand on your heart and, you know, you had the long flowing hair, you know, of the, of the TV Jesus. Now that's not what he's like. He gave us an example of something you should do. Okay. So verse 22, it says here in first Peter chapter two, it says who he did no sin. Okay. So what did he do? He did justly. See, see how we're going back to this. He did no sin. Neither was there even guile found in his mouth. He wasn't he not only didn't sin, he didn't even get close to it. When he was reviled, he did what? He reviled, reviled, reviled not. And when he suffered, he threatened not. So he was reviled, he reviled not. It's taking us right back here to where we were before, right? Do justly. Everybody say no matter what. Jesus did justly. So when they were saying, oh, hey, let's put a blindfold on you and we're going to punch you in the face, you're the Messiah. Tell us which one punched you. What do you want to, when you hear that story, what do you want to do to that man? You want to punch him in his face. Why? Because he's a punk, because he's sarcastic, because he's a mocker. It's disgusting that he's doing this to our Lord. 
do you know Jesus did not go, he did not say anything back to them. He did not revile them. And when he suffered, he did not threaten them, but he, you know what he did? He loved them. He prayed for them. And he did good. In fact, he actually saved one of them, we know, and said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He was a convicted thief. Now, you might say, well, I love the story of the thief on the cross. Isn't that great? How about if he was the guy that stole everything your family had saved your whole life, and when he did, it upset a family member so bad that they killed themselves because they didn't have any money? How would you think about the thief on the cross after that? No, no, no. What he did, he destroyed my family. What he did destroyed my life. He took that precious thing. We don't even know it. We like to think of the thief on the cross as being a nice guy. We like to think, well, look at him. Look how sweet he is. He's nice. Look how nice he is to Jesus on the cross. If you'd have been the one he had stolen from, I think you might think something different about the thief on the cross. Jesus was reviled, verse 23, he reviled not, he suffered, but he didn't threaten when he suffered. He did justly, right? It, what did he do? But he committed himself to him that judges righteously. This is the rub for us. This is the difficult part for us. We are to do justly no matter what, and we need to put the righteous, we want, we want things to be set right by God, not by us. That's our, that's our temptation. We want Val to be punished like we were punished when we did that thing. We want Liam to get in trouble like we got in trouble. That is that is not the heart of love, buddy. That is the heart that's ugly. You should rejoice if your brother doesn't get whipped for what you got whipped for. But our hearts are not good, and we need God to fill us with his Holy Spirit and help us to love people. It says in verse 24, for who his own self bear our sins in his body. And I think we really don't want to emphasize these pronouns here. He, his own self, bear whose sins? Our sins. I think if we don't emphasize the pronouns, we miss the import of the word of God here, who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree. He's referring back. He was reviled and he reviled not. He suffered and he threatened not. He committed himself to him that judges righteously. He bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, could live unto righteousness. That's what God has done for us. How much more should those that are unrighteous, instead of uh, stir up our ire and our anger, stir up our compassion, and we would see in their sins our own and be reminded how God in his mercy loved us. Verse 25, if you think that's not what Jesus is saying, you're missing it. Verse 25, for you were sheep going astray, but now you are returned to the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. Jesus is reminding them, you were a stray sheep. Your sins were born, right? Who's the stripes that Jesus took? were for you and for the bad and the sin and the evil that you've done. And yet on the cross, does it say he despised us or does it say he loved us? He loved us. Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 12 more of the same. I hope this is really working on you like it's working on me. 
Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Once again, this is an admonition to do right no matter what. Right? Recompense no man for evil, but provide things honest in the sight of all men. It doesn't matter what they do. You are to do right no matter what. Verse 18, if it's possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. This is where, this is where he is helping us here. He's helping us to understand this. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. As we go to verse 20, he's reminding them, you need to love mercy, okay? Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. If he's thirsty, do what? Give him to drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. Now, I've heard people talk about this verse. Um, it really does not seem to me appropriate that what is being said here is by doing so, you're going to make him really, really, really mad. You're going to, you're going to be so good to him, it's going to make him so mad that he's going to, you're going to get even with him. I, I really don't think that's what it means. In fact, I've heard that people talk about that by doing this, this heaping coals of fire on his head, there would be, the, and we can get into this later. I'm not going to extrapolate this whole thing out, but this picture of heaping coals on the head was, more like uh, people's fire would go out in their homes and people would come over and they would carry the coals back to their house so that they could build a fire at their house. It's building a fire can be very difficult. And so there's a picture here. Honestly, you're doing them, you're doing a good deed, you're doing a favor, and you're really giving them something precious. People that need to cook need a fire. People that want to bake bread, they need a fire. People that are cold, they need a fire. And so when you're giving your enemy food and you're feeding him, when he's thirsty, you're giving him a drink. When you're doing this, you're doing him a great favor. And he says this right here in verse 21. He, if, you, if we're thinking maybe that's not what it means in verse 21, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So it's not saying be so nice to him that it really makes him mad and you'll, you'll make him feel embarrassed of themselves. He's saying, no, no, no. Overcome evil. Don't be overcome by evil. To do what? To do evil. Someone gets mad and they get in your face and they yell at you. Don't be overcome by that, by doing that to them. Someone talks bad about you, mistreats you, steals your stuff. Don't get, don't, don't try to say eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth and, and pay and make them pay back. I often think of, uh, the law in this regard, and I'm thinking of how horrible the law actually is to people that you love. So this might be hard. This might be a mental gymnastics you can't do. But um, So imagine, Brother Steve Foise, if you accidentally killed my son, Benj. And I know this is really rough. It's kind of a hard image. But you um, were in your yard and you were cutting a tree down and um, the tree fell and killed my son. You know what the law provides for? 
I could kill Caden or Jeremiah. Wow. Is that what I want? That's not what I want. Now, the deal is, is when we hate people and when we're filled with rage toward them and when, when we have this feeling, okay, where someone does this thing, we want to get back at them. But I can tell you right now, if you accidentally killed my son, Brother Steve, I couldn't imagine hurting you in any way, certainly not taking your son. But this is what we this this is this is the evil part of us wants justice, and we feel justified when we want justice from people that we deem are bad, when we judge them as deserving of it. The Bible tells us that we're not to do that, that God is the judge of all men, and that there, there's only one of those, and it isn't us. And so when we desire that kind of justice and when we demand it, we certainly are not following in the example of Christ. All right, I'm going to uh, sum, summarize that passage by saying a life of humility overcomes evil. So as we go to James chapter 3, I'm just it's really just two verses here, James 3, 17 and 18. He describes wisdom, and he says, Wisdom that is from above is first pure. It is peaceable, it is gentle, it is easy to be entreated, full of what? Full of mercy, with good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. The fruit of righteous is shown in peace of them that make peace. The blessed, humble peacemaker, Christ, he always did right. Everybody say, no matter what. No matter what anybody else did. He always loved mercy. Everybody say, no matter what. Did they show him mercy? No, they did not. Did he deserve mercy? Yeah. And what did he do? He walked humbly. No matter what. You know, I I was thinking about this, and I'll camp out on just for a minute here, but I was trying to think how... I don't even understand how it was possible for Christ to be humble. I really don't. He knew everything. He was always right. He was always just. Um, he was stronger, smarter, better in, in everything. And yet, the Bible says he clothed himself in humility. Not just that he became a man, but he wasn't just a man. He was a humble man. He could have told them exactly what the law said. He could have made them look like fools. Well, he did. But the way that he made them look like fools is by loving them, being kind to them, and being humble and letting them be proud. I mean, really, can you, can you just picture this? Imagine a Pharisee in all of his dressed-up regalia with the frontlets between his eyes. And I don't know if it, I was in Israel. I saw these guys. There's some still around. They're in their outfits and they got their locks growing long on the sides of their face. Their prayer shawls are hanging out and visible. And they look holy when they have their big long beard. And, 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 you know, they have it all. Imagine one of those in all of that looking at Jesus and trying to sit with him and let him know that he was the real deal and not Jesus. Picture that, and picture that being you. 
we walk humbly before God because folks, let me tell you right now, it, it doesn't take a lot to know that we're not him and to know that we should be humble before him. The blessed, humble peacemaker Christ did right no matter what anyone else did. He loved mercy no matter if they showed it to him or even though he deserved it. And he certainly walked humbly, even though humility was something he didn't really even need at all, but we did. He could have crushed them all and demanded their love and their mercy and their respect, but he did not. Now, I know this is a very strange way to look at a psalm. We haven't even got into the psalm, and I think I'm probably nearing the end here, but I do want to kind of read through the psalm. It's not that long. It only takes about three and a half minutes to read, and I'm going to just, I won't spend a lot of time in it, but I really think that this this doctrine that is God is calling our attention to is at the center, really, of what our hearts should be on right now. Psalm 35, the Psalm of David, plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. See, as opposed to let me deal with them, David prays that God would do what? God would deal with them. Take hold of shield and buckler. Stand up for my help. Draw out the spear. Stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. Let them be as chaff before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. You can see David wants God to deal with them. He's praying for his enemies. Now, it's true that God, he wants God to destroy them, but you can see that ultimately David, though, as we get through the psalm, he wants God to be vindicated. Let their way be dark and slippery. Let the angel of the Lord persecute them. For without cause they have hid for me their net in, in a pit. Without cause they have digged for my soul. So they had obviously, you know, he's describing this trap that people make. They dig a big hole and they put something over it and you walk and you fall in that pit and you get trapped in a net. He says, let destruction come on him that's unawares. Let him that made the net, let it catch himself. In that very destruction, let him fall, and my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. You know, David isn't Jesus. And what David wants uh, is different than what Jesus actually prayed for. Verse 10, all my bones shall say, Lord, who is like unto thee, which delivers the poor from him that is too strong for him? Yea, the poor and the needy from him that spoileth him. False witnesses rose up. They laid to my charge things that I know not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. David's in pain because what? He did good and they rewarded him evil. It's the opposite actually of what Jesus, Jesus was saying, do good to them that are doing evil. He's saying they rewarded me evil for the good to the spoiling of my soul. This made me sick. I was good to them. And what do they do? They hurt me. As for me, when they were sick, what did I do? And David begins to talk about these people. So these people must have, they weren't Philistines. They weren't Amalekites. These are Israelites. These are his friends. They're people that is his own countrymen at the very least. As for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself. I humbled my soul with fasting and my prayer. He prayed for them. He fasted for them. And he was genuinely sorry when he found out that they were sick. 
I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or my brother, and I bound down heavily as one that mourns for his mother. But what did he do? In my adversity, they rejoiced. They gathered themselves together. Yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They tear, they did tear me, and they ceased not. With hypocritical mockers and feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. Lord, how long will you look on and rescue my soul from their destructions? My darling from the lions. That word darling was in our psalm actually last week. That word darling means those that are precious to me, my wife, my children. Rescue my family. Rescue those that mean a lot to me. And what will I do? Verse 8, I will give thanks to you in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. Let not them that are my enemies wrongfully rejoice over me. Neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without cause, for they speak not peace. They devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. Yea, they open their mouth wide against me, and they said, Aha, aha, our eye has seen it. Thou hast seen, O Lord. Keep not silent, O Lord. Be not far from me. Stir up thyself. Awake to my judgment, even to my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me. Now, this is where David, he, he gets into this. Judge me, O Lord, my God, according to thy righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. He knew in this case he was innocent. That's what we do when we know we're innocent. We, we get upset like David. Let them not say in their hearts, oh, we would have let it. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion that rejoice at my hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and thy praise all the day long. So, as you can see, Psalm 35 is pretty long, and it really handles a whole lot, uh, and so we're not, we, we're not going to go through that. But what I want to do is I just want us to say, uh, I want us to do justly no matter what. Everybody say that. Love mercy no matter what. Walk humbly no matter what. And I think if we would focus on that today, that we would certainly come closer to pleasing the Lord. And if we ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we could do this, we have a great opportunity to do this in our houses with our families. And we're one day, as God allows us, we're going to be out and we're going to be together as a church. This is the kind of thing I really believe can bring peace and beauty and unity in a church when we do justly, love mercy, and we walk humbly before our God, no matter what. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us and giving us these instructions. Lord, they're, well, they're just impossible to do in the natural man. We can't do them. Kind of feel like I feel in the conviction of sin in our liturgy when we say, okay, I'm undone. I I don't know what to do. And Lord, when I hear that this is what you want from me, I say, I, I can't do that, Lord. It's too hard. And you tell me that I can do all things through Christ. You tell me that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I'm reminded that I'm in the world too. Lord, you said in First John that you're greater than my heart. 
my heart tells me I cannot love. I cannot do justly. I cannot love mercy. I cannot walk humbly no matter what. I just can't do it. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you would live in and through me. And Lord, that that picture that you've given us from your word would be one that brings me true humility, that causes me to act in real righteousness and to love with a deep love, your mercy on me and not only on me, but on those who I don't think deserve it. And I pray all of these things in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.